0: Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. We conclude our Epiphany Sermon Series, Windows on the Word, with two invitations from Jesus. The first is the call of Matthew, and the second is his response to the Pharisees. Both of these invitations are good news to us. You're listening to The Calling of Matthew by Rev. Christy Mannion. Our window for this morning's sermon, which is the last uh, sermon in our Windows on the Word series, is up here um, on the west side of the sanctuary, about a third of the way from the back. You can see Matthew there sitting at his toll booth and Jesus with his hand outstretched um, underneath the boat. If you see the, the disciples catching the heavy nets of fish just down from there. And Jesus' hand is out and it's lit up as if he's calling Matthew to something better and brighter because, in fact, that's what he's doing. Um, As I mentioned that this is our last uh, sermon in the series, Windows on the Word, I should also mention to you, Lent begins this week. And so Wednesday night, there will be a service of ashes for Ash Wednesday, 615 to 645. Our passage this morning is from Matthew chapter 9, verses 9 to 13, page 1513 in your pew Bibles. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. Meanwhile, Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house and many tax collectors and sinners came and they ate with him and with his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. This is the word of the Lord. Sin never seems clearer to us than when we see it in other people. A song by Hope College graduate and Academy Award-winning musician Sufjan Stevens focuses a laser beam on the sick and sorry state of fallen humanity. In the song, Stevens laments the true story of a man named John Wayne Gacy Jr. Gacy was a broken person who committed truly heinous violence. He was a serial killer. The song is musically melancholy. The lyrics are troubling. It grabs you and it does not let go. After crying out against all the harm that Gacy has inflicted, after showing the horror of it to listeners, after inviting the listener to despise and to mourn the wrong too, Stevens brings a surprise ending. He sings, in my best behavior, I'm really just like him. Look beneath the floorboards for the secrets that I have hid. And as you listen, you're so bothered and you want to cry out, no way, no way are you like that guy, are you? No way am I like that guy either. In subsequent interviews about that song, Stevens makes it clear he's not confessing to some terrible crime of his own, He's speaking in a particularly arresting way about the capacity, the potential for evil in the fallen human heart. Some listeners find the song so offensive that they have to step away. (sighs) I didn't do those kinds of things. I'm not in that category, am I? and other listeners hear in the song sort of a terrifying invitation to look at the depth of human sin not just out here but also right in here how much do i need saving This morning's Bible passage asks us to identify with another sinner, Matthew, the tax collector. So far in Matthew's gospel, we have met, uh, we have seen Jesus interact with a man who has leprosy. We've seen him interact with a Roman centurion. We've seen him meet up with a couple of men who are oppressed by demons. And Jesus, as he goes along, has healed them. Bodies, souls. But now in chapter 9, Matthew shows us a Jesus who takes one more step down the social ladder. He does it not just in passing. We see Jesus actually begin to keep company with those kind of people. Jesus is at home in his um, home base in Capernaum along the north shore of the Sea of Galilee. He's going about his day-to-day life, and as he does that, he encounters Matthew. Matthew is doing just exactly what he does every day. He is sitting at the tax booth, collecting sales tax on products coming through the area. And today we might rank a visit from an IRS auditor right up there with going to the dentist for a root canal. And I'm so sorry to say that to my friends who are auditors and tax specialists. These were not beloved people in the culture. They were in a class among thieves and murderers. They had betrayed their own people. They were working with allegiance to the Roman government. They were padding their own bank accounts with, uh, at the expense of their fellow citizens. And so to his fellow Jews, Matthew, tax collector Matthew, is a lying, cheating, dirty, rotten scoundrel. So you have to wonder if Matthew has to slink around town and go to the market late at night when no one else will be there. So you have to avert his eyes to get away from the dirty looks that come his way. Can he feel the hatred of the people around him or is his soul too damaged to even feel that anymore? We don't have a lot of detail about Matthew himself, but that allows us to focus on what Jesus does. Because Jesus approaches the toll booth and he comes with empty hands. He is not there to bring a good or good in for uh, taxation. He's not there to contribute money. He's there with something more, something better, something Matthew needs instead—an invitation. Matthew, follow me. For a moment, no one knows quite what will happen, but taking a breath and shaking out his tunic, Matthew steps to his feet out of the toll booth, turns the sign over on the window, closed for business, steps away from the life that he has known to keep company with Jesus. And I say that deliberately because the next thing you know, Matthew is hosting a meal in his house and he's invited all of his friends, outcasts too, into the company of Jesus as well. And for a little while, things were going along all right. But then the Pharisees notice. How could any rabbi worth calling by that name, put up with people like this. So one of the Pharisees comes up to Peter, steps up next to him and says, you know, I really think, I really think your disciples, you and the other disciples would be so much better off if you could learn at the feet of someone else. I'm not so sure that Jesus' moral compass is functioning Didn't his synagogue leader teach him Psalm 1 that we don't walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners? We don't sit in the seat of mockers? Doesn't he know one bad apple spoils the whole bunch? Anybody with strong moral sensibilities could be offended that someone who is teaching and preaching and coming healing in the name of the holy God of Israel would allow himself to drag God's holy reputation down here. But the whole point of the story, the whole point of the story in our window, the whole point of the story of these few verses in the Gospel of Matthew is that Jesus calls those afflicted with the sickness of sin Jesus invites the wounded, the hurt, those who are totally incapable on their own of beating back the illness of sin. Those who are healthy don't need a physician, he says. It's what he came to be and do. I didn't come to call the righteous, I came to call sinners. In a letter to his friend and fellow theologian, George Spalatin, Martin Luther, wrote this. Beware of ever desiring in yourself such purity that you do not want to seem to yourself to be a sinner. Because Christ dwells only in sinners. So I have a question. Are you Matthew? Am I? The Heidelberg Catechism teaches that on our own, we are not capable of doing anything good that could save us. That on our own, when we're faced with temptation, we are too weak to resist it, even for a moment. That fallenness doesn't mean we're as bad as we possibly could be. Thankfully, most of us don't commit heinous crimes. Most of us are capable of making and keeping commitments. Most of us genuinely do want and act in the best interest of other people. But in our ordinary and day-to-day lives, sin touches and infects everything. So looking at that wide-reaching, wide-ranging depravity helps us to see how much bigger God's grace is, and covering it. Second Timothy 1.9, Jesus has saved us, called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time. And so when Jesus calls Matthew, the tax collector, to follow him, it is grace. When Matthew is enabled to rise to his feet and step out of the booth, it is grace. Matthew truly has a mini-resurrection of sorts that day. The same word that refers to his rising to his feet can also refer to rising from the dead. And so right here and right now, Matthew rises to a new life. And in that life of relationship to Jesus, outcasts are received. Broken people are made whole. Sinners aren't made nicer, they're made new. What the Pharisees couldn't understand is that when Matthew introduces Jesus, the holy son of God, to his outcast friends. Proximity to them doesn't diminish or contaminate Jesus. It cleanses and elevates them. As a young college student, I was invited to attend a very nice dinner with another student or two, a couple of professors, some influential Christian writers and editors. Lauren Winner was among the group, uh, Andy Crouch, John Wilson. So we went out to a nice restaurant, and we could all fit around one table, so it was a pretty small group. I had no idea what I was doing there. I had no cultural capital to belong at this table. I was not published. I could hardly follow the dinner conversation, much less contribute to it. I didn't even look like I belonged there. When the waiter came around to pour the wine, I had to say, no, thank you, I'm not old enough. I was there only because of the invitation of someone greater than me. Ed Erickson. Ed was the sort of professor who taught students with his whole life and with his whole self. And he did it for a long time, so he might not even remember that dinner, but I do. Because that invitation lifted me up. It gave me a window into how other people who loved God and loved words might shape their lives. It invited me to wonder about my own life, the things that I loved, how that life might take shape. And so Ed's invitation is a picture for me of the kindness and goodness of God who extends invitations to tax collectors and sinners, to people who have no people, to people who have no reason to belong at the table, to people whose only qualification is to respond with a yes when Jesus invites them. People who are so blessed by being included that they share that invitation with their words and with their lives. Really, there are two invitations in our short little passage today. Jesus' call to Matthew, which is clear, and Jesus' less obvious invitation to the Pharisees. Jesus tells the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So Jesus lifts that small phrase out of the book of Hosea and he holds it up to the light as an interpretive lens for the Old Testament law and prophets. Jesus isn't saying that keeping the law is a bad thing. Keeping the law simply can't go deep enough to the root of the problem. If the law keeper's heart and mindset go against the core of God's covenant-keeping mercy, the Pharisees, serious law-abiding folks, have missed the forest for the trees. And so the Pharisees need to see that they too need healing. They too need a doctor. They, too, are among those who are sick. They, too, depend on an invitation. So Jesus says to them, go and learn. Learn from me through your first language of the scriptures. See the law and the prophets that you cherish teaching about the heart of God. Hear your need for me again for the first time. Because, of course, both Matthew and the Pharisees need Jesus. The call of Matthew is such good news for all of us because in that window, in this story, we see if Jesus could call that guy, well, Jesus could call anybody, even me. So when you feel the weight of sins, past and present, Jesus comes to you and says, follow me. I have a better life for you and I will make you new. And Jesus' word of instruction to the Pharisees is a moment of reckoning for anyone who might have a short memory about human condition apart from the saving grace of God. Do you remember how much you need me? Do you know my heart? I'll call you into a new life too. Some of us are Matthew. Jesus summons us to rise and follow him in a new life, a life that asks us to leave small things and big things behind and turn around. Follow him. And some of us are Pharisees who need Jesus to hold up the mirror to the sin that we're unaware of so that we can follow him in ways that are transforming from one degree of glory into the next. Because Jesus invites Matthew and Pharisees, all sinners, to join him around his table at the wedding feast in the new creation. In his book, The Ragamuffin Gospel, Brendan Manning writes this, Because salvation is by grace through faith, I believe that among the countless number of people standing in front of the throne and in front of the lamb dressed in white robes, holding palms in their hands, I shall see the prostitute from the Kit Kat Ranch in Carson City, Nevada, who tearfully told me that she could find no other work to support her two-year-old son. I shall see the woman who had an abortion and is haunted by guilt and remorse but did the best she could, faced with grueling alternatives, the businessman besieged by debt who sold his integrity in a series of desperate transactions, the insecure pastor addicted to being liked who didn't challenge the people from the pulpit and longed for unconditional love. But how will they all be there, we ask. And then the voice says, they've washed their robes and have made them white in the blood of the Lamb. There they are. There we are, the multitude who so wanted to be faithful, who at times got defeated and soiled by life and bested by trials, wearing the bloodied garments of life's tribulations. But through it all, clung to faith. So when you come into this church and you look up at that picture of Matthew with Jesus, you can say to yourself, Jesus calls me. Jesus is inviting me every day into the new life that he came to bring all of us. Thanks be to God. Lord, you are too good to leave us the way that you found us. And so um, for our whole lives, you are working on making in us, uh, making us new, making us a better reflection of Jesus. We thank you for your work in us, and we pray that you will continue it until the day you come again. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to La Grave Avenue CRC's sermon podcast.